This episode of Guitar Radio Show is brought to you by Nico's USA Pickups. The quintessential pickup is finally here to capture the essence of the best vintage and modern tones on the planet. We all know there are certain periods that have captivated guitar players because of their cherished tones. Nico's USA Pickups are handmade and designed to deliver just what you're looking for. Made in America... Incorporating period-specific materials for the most discerning guitarist, the tone will easily captivate your ears with an amazing balance of highs, mids, and bass response, yielding unprecedented sound and feel. Authentic tones from authentic materials, handcrafted in the USA, Nico's USA Pickups. Go to nicosusapickups.com for more information. And also by Killer B Guitars. Custom guitars proudly made in Memphis. For more information, go to KillerBGuitars.com. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 88 of Guitar Radio Show, a show dedicated to all things guitar, dedicated to guitar player, guitar builder, gear maker, and purveyors of such items you may not know about, but you should. And today is a huge deal for me. Huge. Huge. When I first started this show, I put together a list of people that I wished for as guests on this show. And today... The third person on my list was nice enough to sit down with me at the Continental Club here in Austin, Texas for an interview. Mr. Red Vokert, Grammy winner. This is only the second. Well, actually, he is the really technically the first Grammy winner I've ever spoken to because the first Grammy winner, he hadn't won the Grammy yet when I spoke to him. So this is a Grammy winner here, folks. (laughs) Super exciting. Red Vokert is one of my Telecaster heroes. He's an amazing guitar player. He can do it all. He can play anything. He really can. And it's just amazing that he um, was uh, willing uh, to sit down with me and discuss uh, his past, his present, his future, and some gear. And this guy knows gear. So it's a great interview. I think you're going to really dig it. Folks, GuitarRadioShow.com. Please join us over there. Some cool blogs from Adam P. Hunt. We've got an episode coming up really soon uh, on uh, the future of Gibson guitars. Uh, It's a panel discussion between Adam, myself, and uh, the great Steve Cohn, who has a brand new album out called One of Three. So that's coming up real soon, and a whole bunch of other great stuff, too, and some giveaways as well. Um, I don't want to, you know, you don't need to hear me blabbering. We need to hear some Red Vokert. So here's some, uh, here's a cross-section of some great excerpts of some of Red's playing, and then we're going to get right into the interview. All right? Check it out.
two, three. We were just a plain old hillbilly band with a plain old country style. We never played the kind of song that would drive anybody wild. Played a railroad song with a stomping beat. We played a blues song, kind of slow and sweet. But the thing that knocked them off of their feet was we. Folks, it's uh, my honor and pleasure to be sitting here at the bar of the Continental Club in the best place on earth, Austin, Texas, with Mr. Red Volkert. How are you, Red? Doing good. Thank you. Thank you for taking some time out before your gig today to sit and talk with us and my listeners. Thank you. I appreciate it greatly. Well, happy to do it. Um, you know, I always like to start things off with uh, origins. Orgies. Or, well, orgies are good, too. Yeah, well, you know, they always say a fool and his money are soon parted, but memories of the orgy last a lifetime. Well, that's one. Yeah, another one I heard was uh, <laughs> you never want to be the pivot man at an orgy. <laughs> this is true. This is true. I would bow out of that carefully. <laughs> and quickly. <laughs> Origins. <laughs> Origins. Okay. So how did, how did someone... From you originally from Edmonton, right? No, I was born in Vancouver in oh, New Westminster, okay. in British Columbia, Vancouver on the west coast. All right. And then I uh, left there when I was 17, and I moved to Edmonton, Alberta, and kind of really got into playing country music with country bands six nights a week, uh, traveling around the western part of Canada for the most part, mm -hmm. and. Uh, Prior to that, as a kid, of course, I was like a, like all kids. You listen to everything and anything you can. And I have an older brother; it's a year older. So when I was a kid, he was the the rock guy, and he had all the good rock records and stuff of the day of bands that were popular at the time. When I was a kid, it was uh, he had lots of uh, Grand Funk and Deep Purple and mm -hmm. uh, you know Led Zeppelin's first three albums. Just all that era, that kind of stuff. So. I, of course, I was uh, listened to a lot of that, and, uh, and my parents had a pretty good record collection of uh, R&B and blues. My dad was a blues guy, so he had lots of uh, 
all the Kings, Albert and BB and Freddie King, and they loved uh, Jimmy Reed and uh, just that kind of stuff. And uh, my mom was uh, more of a mother, I guess. She liked uh, Ella Fitzgerald and uh, Tom Jones, of course, like all women back then. Sure. So she listened to that kind of stuff, and uh, a lot of the Motown things, she really liked that a lot, and listened to that, so we had a lot of those kind of records, so I don't know if any of that rubbed off or not, but I mean, I listened to it, obviously, as a kid, uh, through osmosis, if nothing else, to all of that stuff, and she had some Les Paul and Mary Ford records, and that really was a whoo to me, I didn't, still don't get it, but yeah. I mean, it was still, nonetheless, it was a bunch of guitar noise that... Uh, a kid could go, oh, whoa, what's that? I wonder how I can, maybe I will, well, probably not, yeah. you know, <laughs> kind of a deal. But So I had all kind of influences there. And then uh, my first playing things was my brother's a drummer, so we had our own power duo, drums and guitar, and played some sock hops and things like that in our elementary school as kids growing up. And then I got into some, my dad, uh, introduced me some friends of his that played in a country band and said, hey, you guys maybe want to use this kid playing guitar. So he landed me a gig with these guys on a weekend and playing uh, up there, we called it the antler circuit that was uh, elks and moose and everything with horns on it, okay. kind of yeah. lodges and amvets and all that kind sure, of stuff. Yeah. And so it was a steady weekend thing and that's how I really got my foot in the country, the hardcore old school country thing. And of yeah. course, the more I played it, the more I was intrigued because it wasn't as easy as it seemed and was hard to learn it properly and on and on and then of course that was a challenge and so I just ended up drifting more toward that because of that and having you know having to do it and wanting to do a good job for those guys at the time and sure. so I would work on it harder and longer and of course the other stuff I was listening to kind of slipped away and went to the bottom of the record stack and uh, then I moved out to Alberta with a, a bass player and a drummer that talked me into going out there to Edmonton and do a trio and travel around. We'd play six nights at a bar in a hotel and then move Sunday to the next place and six nights in the next town. Did that forever and ever up there, and, and that's how I got my start playing. Was there was there any one particular country player that you felt was definitive in your influence? I don't know if I could say there was one. I mean, there were several guys, you know, Don Rich from Buck Owens' band, Merle Haggard's band, Ed Roy Nichols. Jimmy Bryant was an amazing mm -hmm. instrumental player, but, you know, I still can't figure his stuff out. Yeah, so. well, a lot like Les Paul in that way. Yeah, that kind of, so the, all those guys to me were amazing in their own thing. I mean, I'm sure I didn't know or recognize that, oh, this guy's an instrumentalist and this one knows how to play in a band better or not, or I didn't know any of that or really give a shit one way or another at mm -hmm. the time. So uh, all of those guys to me played great, so I wanted to steal all their stuff and try and copy it and emulate those sounds, and mm -hmm. if I could put them in with a band I was playing with, great. If I couldn't, well, I'd keep trying. Well, here's something. I mean, you know, it's so funny. As a kid growing up, I would steal my dad's Jimmy Bryant records, and I would hear them, and I'd, many times I, I didn't know that there was a Speedy West. Right. You thought it was all Jimmy. I thought it was all Jimmy, sure. and I'd be like, how yeah. in the world is that happening? But it's funny because I, whenever I come to you play, and I see you play quite a bit, you do that. You're able to bounce back and forth between those two 
Well, there again, it's just, it's all emulating and, and stealing their stuff, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of like uh, if you don't know when you're a kid and you don't know that, that that's not that guy, you, right. you find there's a will, there's a way, right. and you MacGyver yourself a little way to, <laughs> yeah. to figure out how to get, sort of get that sound. Sure, so. Yeah. But yeah, I've always been a steel guitar fan as well. Yeah. So always trying to copy that sort of sound and get those flavors in my playing. Mm -hmm. So a bunch of little things I've you know either stole from other steel players or the records or from playing with other guys and go, ooh, I could use that, sneak yeah. that little thing and and then try and incorporate it in your into my playing sure. and and. Yeah, so I just love the steel guitar as well, and and. So basically, uh, rule one is there are no rules. That not copying wise, no. Yeah. A thief's a thief. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter if it's a guitar lick or a steel lick or yeah. a fiddle lick or yeah. it's all good. Yeah. You know, it licks yeah. a lick. Yeah, for sure. I mean, a note doesn't know what uh, genre it's in mm -hmm. or care. <laughs> That's so. true. So you ended up in in Nashville eventually. Yeah, I. Uh, I was in Alberta for till about 85 or 6, then I moved to Los Angeles and uh, just started on the West Coast. My goal was to go to Nashville, of course, and see all these uh, cool players that were on the records, hopefully, if they were still alive, that I had of the records. So I thought, well, my mom's in Vancouver, I'll stop and visit her, and then if I get killed when I cross the border, then at least I said bye to her and that's that. And so I headed down. Uh, toward California and, and uh, stopped several places along the way and played in different situations and all of that and uh, wound up going to Nashville after I've been in the States probably four years and then I finally had went to Nashville and I was there 11 years and thumped around town doing all kinds of everything you can think of from you know playing seven days a week two shifts a day or three shifts a day sometimes you could do like a 10 to 2 and then a, a two to six, and then a six to ten, and then uh, other ones were ten till two thirty or quarter to three. So uh, I did lots of uh, two and three shifts a day when I lived there, and then all kinds of other stuff, you know, fixing guitars for guys, building pedal boards, and mm -hmm. cutting new baffle boards, changing speakers out on twins or whatever for guys, mm -hmm. and whatever you can do to make a living, kind of right. make it all add up. Sure. So I, and that was something that just can't you, you just learned as you went. There was no, there was no training. You just learned as you went, as far as the, the repairs and all that stuff. Yeah, just from I've been always been a tinkerer, one of those kids that if I got a new toy, I probably ruined it by taking it apart mm -hmm. to see what made it work. Sure. I've always been that kind of a guy, and so always jacking with stuff and hot rodding of some kind. I mean, and just uh, figured out a way when I was, I guess when I was 12, I took an old broken guitar cord and I cut into my Philco uh, record player, and with a match an old solder soldered up the, the one end of the cord to the speaker and then I could plug it into my twin and it would sound like I was at a Coliseum <laughs> with my record player. With a match. With a match, yeah. <laughs> just get it hot enough so it just barely stick. And then of course you have to tape it sure. after that. Tape, tape, and I still tape. use that technique quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well I got some guitars I need you to fix. <laughs> <laughs> Boy I can fix them. <laughs> but yeah, it's always been a tinkerer kind of guy yeah. and you know so it was always easy to take things apart and see oh that's how it goes oh, that's pretty mm -hmm. simple and so I got into it that way uh, 
had always been into tinkering with stuff, so mm -hmm. to to fix guitars and rewire them and hot rod change pickups and values of pots to get different, you know, the lower the value of the pot for, you know, a bit of a uh, darker sound, the higher the number for a brighter sound, mm -hmm. little things like that, and just always tinkering with that stuff, experimenting, so I got my own uh, experiences from doing that that I, you know, think are... I guess fairly valid because I mm -hmm. have learned them over the years and can pass them on to other guys and and the ones that have done work for us seem to be happy with that yeah. and and think yeah oh yeah the guy knows what he's doing you know yeah so over the years you you you've always been mainly a telly guy yeah for the most part I mean I always played Telecasters I got a bunch of other guitars and things too that I like and I play and use them for different sounds and recording and things like that but uh, for the most part to me the Telecaster's kind of been the uh, crescent wrench adjustable spanner for me of all gigs and all bands that have been in I can get more for me I can get more sounds that are like a bunch of other things mm -hmm. out of a Telecaster than I can out of any other guitar mm, I like I say that's that. just for me though I don't sure everybody's mileage varies a little different. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I agree with you, though, in regards to... I've always said that the Telecaster is like that cross between the fatness, enough fatness like a Les Paul, but enough thinness like a Strat. Right. Yeah, exactly. Get those two worlds going. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you ended up playing... Uh, when you were in Nashville, you ended up playing a pretty, pretty prestigious gig... Uh, as a sideman there for a while, right? With uh, Don? Oh, with Don Kelly's yeah. band. Yeah, yeah. I was lucky when I first moved there. Uh, I spent the first few months just thumping around town, pick up gigs here and there. And, and Don Kelly was playing at a place called the Stagecoach. The, the building had been there forever and was a comedy club in the 50s and a rock club in the 70s. Led Zeppelin played there in the 70s when they first came to the States. And Don had been at that club for... Oh, when I moved there, he'd already been there probably 15 years, and he was there probably about 20, and then the lease was up and they sold the building and it became something else, and then Don moved on to a couple other clubs, and uh, he's still downtown at Roberts on Broadway, mm -hmm. but I played with him first at the Stagecoach uh, for about two years, and that was a six-night-a-week gig, and then they were off uh, Sundays. So I played as well with the Sunday night band, was the off-night band, they called them. And I played with them Sundays there, so it was a seven-night-a-week gig to start. And I got that gig, I would say I was in town about four months when I landed that gig. I did a couple of fill-ins for the guy that was leaving at the time, and, and uh, I guess, I don't know if he was just, you know, trying out different people or whatever, and right. so I wound up with the gig. And, and then I uh, went on the road with a fellow named Clinton Gregory, who was a fiddle player in that same band at the time, had a little record deal, so we went out and hit the road for a couple of years, and then it kind of fizzed a bit, so I came back home to Nashville and hooked up with Don at another club uh, called the uh, Pink Elephant. We played there six nights a week for about a year. Then I did some other things, and then I went back with Don over at Gabe's Lounge. was another club on the north side of town in Austin, uh, Nashville. And then he wound up down at Roberts, Western World, mm -hmm. and I played there with him probably eh, three or four years mm -hmm. before I went on the road uh, with Merle Haggard. 
And at the time when I went on the road, Johnny Highland was playing across the street at a place called the Turf Club. And uh, while I was on the road, there was a big tornado back then that came through town and wiped out that a whole bunch of stuff. But it also wiped out that club where Johnny was playing and the club next door. So Johnny didn't have a gig at that time. So, uh, and he'd been subbing for me while I was gone uh, with Don's band. So uh, after the tornado took that club away, uh, I just told Don, I said, hey, how about giving Johnny my job and I'll be his sub when he takes off somewhere? And he was, oh, that's okay, that's fine. So Johnny did it and he took the job and he did it for well, several years, I think, mm-hmm. doing yeah. that thing. And, and I was on the road at the time with Merle pretty much all the time then, so I really didn't get to come back and sub much. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, it's funny about that, about that spot with Don that uh, everybody that I've spoken to who's had, who either has that spot or had that spot always said, oh, yeah, I got Red Vokert's spot. Yeah. <laughs> well, he can't win them all. He might have lost the bet. <laughs> Johnny said it. J.D. Simo said yeah. it. They all say it. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Well, I guess they don't remember who was there before. I guess not. <laughs> Maybe they're too young. That's it. They're just kids. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so then you, and then you ended up with in, in Merle's band. Yeah. And I mean. Growing up, you were listening to Merle. Oh, to me, as a dream gig, gig to have. I mean, I was a Roy Nichols fanatic, yeah. so I knew all the stuff anyway. And it was, I dreamed of, boy, it would be great just to sit beside them, him in a chair and play on that band. Yeah. You know? yeah. And then uh, the gig came up, and I'd, I had n- known some of the guys in the band. Some of them lived in Nashville. And, and uh, so when Merle would come to town, he would be doing some interviews or TV or whatever and things. Some of them were without the band. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the band came. Everybody travels together. So the band's out prowling around town doing whatever they can. And so uh, a few of them would come to this club in Printer's Alley that I played six nights a week at. And they'd come and jam with me. And Flint Strong came in and jammed a lot. And So... Uh, when the gig came open, I guess Merle had said to his band guys, well, who do you guys want to get? And five out of eight of them said me. So uh, Merle called me up and said, hey, you want the gig? And I said, well, yeah, <laughs> I'd gladly take it. I said, can you send me some uh, tapes or something of, or CDs or whatever back then of the way you're doing things now? Because I know all your stuff from the old records, but I'm sure you do them different now and hot-rotted the arrangements some and twisted around the solos so they're all harmonized and whatever. Uh, if I could hear that stuff, I'd get a little leg up on it so that if, when I come out, I could maybe get closer to nailing it. And he said, nah, just come out and play. That was it. No rehearsal, no audition, no nothing. Just so first gig, up. just go. Go, yeah. Work a man blues, go. Wow. Were you scared? Oh. I won't say that I spotted. <laughs> All right. But you couldn't drive a toothpick. Yeah. All right. With a sledgehammer. I think I would have. <laughs> it was awesome. Oh, man, that's great. And how many years did you do that? I did that on the road. I did it about five, almost six years on the road, mm-hmm. and then a couple of years after that, recording, flying back up right. to his place just for a recording. Right. Right. I mean, talk about a surreal experience. 
oh yeah I, when I got the gig I called my mom up and said oh I guess what I can quit playing now she said did Merle Haggard call you <laughs> she knew she knew well, I probably I wore her out about it <laughs> for several years you know oh man so. and then you and then you ended up here in Austin yeah I uh, well your is your adopted home yeah I've been here 15 years now and uh, Dale Watson I think I could blame for that well, we could probably blame Dale Watson for a lot of things, I think. Yeah. I met Dale uh, probably in 87, and when he first was a, a little skinny kid with no tattoos and a suit, came to, to uh, Los Angeles. Black hair. And he had jet black hair. His dad had the white hair then. <laughs> and uh, we were buddies, fast buddies, right away when we met out yeah. there and hung out all the time. Yeah played and all kind of stuff and then when I moved to Nashville he came to Nashville several years later mm -hmm. uh, he had a writing deal I think with Gary Morris uh, this wind, wind beneath my wings guy mm -hmm. with his publishing company and so he was in town for a little bit there and then he came back he moved back to uh, Texas so uh, he brought me out here to record with him a few times and when I would come, I'd stay for two, three days extra and just hang out, and we'd play some of his gigs and mm -hmm. go jamming and stuff, and I just loved it here yeah. and thought, man, mm -hmm. this is still real country and some Western swing, and just that whole scene seemed so much more vibrant than anywhere else, mm -hmm. you know? So I thought, well, when country takes its last dying breath, it'll probably be right around here. <laughs> Maybe I can be around when it happens well, or be a part of it, yeah, you know? Yeah, I, I think, well, you, you and Dale are the ones that are, are keeping it real for us. I think there's a pile of guys around that are doing it, you know, but uh, thank you. But, yeah, this is the place for it. Oh, I yeah, thought. for sure, for sure. I mean, it's why I came, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I, I got. If I don't ask you this question, my listeners will string me up. I need to talk about gear. Okay. All right. Now, like we said, we've been a telly player, but you don't always play a Fender. No, I've got uh, a bunch of stuff. I got some old tellies, and then uh, I've got some kind of kit guitars, a few custom ones that I've had made. Uh, one is a Neville guitar that's mm -hmm. made up of Michigan. Just it's a Telecaster, basically, but awesome guitar, incredible. Mm -hmm. Another one is a, uh, a fellow named Mike Aronson, and he's a doctor back east, a uh, heart doctor, I believe. Wow. And uh, he made me uh, a Telecaster that's just unbelievable great guitar. And then there's another doctor in Los Angeles, Frank Fisher, that builds guitars. I think there's something with the doctors yeah. being really... Uh, being doctors, I guess they're fairly precise yeah, meticulous. and meticulous yeah. and that. So everything of th these guitars is spot on. The fret ends and the tangs are exactly the same and even all the way. Mm -hmm. uh, necks are straight as possible, you know, with the right amount of relief, of course. And just everything, everything about them. Both of those guys asked me if if they could build me a guitar, and I said, Nah, I got enough stuff. Thanks. No offense, but I probably wouldn't like it because I'm a real picky bugger on what I want and what I like and all of that. So if I if I got a guitar from you and it wasn't what I want, I wouldn't play it and that'd be no good. It'd sit in the closet, you know. Mm -hmm. So thanks anyway. So I blew both of those guys off and they emailed me back a couple of times and and I just said, you know, I don't mean to offend you, but I don't want to uh, waste your time by saying, yeah, build me a guitar and it not be 
all the things because I'm I'm really picky on all the particulars I want. So both of them, at different times, a year apart, said, well, give me your list. I'll look at that as a challenge, and, and if you don't like it, send it back. I said, that's fair. So I give them a big old email list of all my particulars where I said I want the the neck to be... Uh, you know, 097 on the first fret and a one inch mm -hmm. on the 12th fret. Mm -hmm. I want a hard V to a comp to a to a C at the bottom. Uh, compound radius, uh, skinny 50s frets. I want the body to be three and a half to four pounds with nothing on it, and just all these really whiny <laughs> Gomer <laughs> homo guitar nut stuff. <laughs> A year later, I get a guitar that comes in the mail, UPS, dead on, exact, everything I asked for, these guys nailed them. So those are two guys that are just amazing builders and make wonderful guitars. And I built some myself out of some kit parts and things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, so yeah, I, I like it, as long as it's a telly, pretty much. Yeah, what are you using, what are you going to use today? Today I've got uh, the soup of the day. Is the uh, it's a '52 telly uh -huh. that Fender refinished in '58 oh. with the famous '58 uh, Strat Sunburst. Ah. No binding. Interesting. Yeah. So it's all nitro. It's all nitro. Yeah, it was done in '58, and it uh, in '58 when they did it, the numbers are stamped on the neck and inside the bridge pickup hole. They. Uh, I don't know if you know or not, when Fender refinished stuff, you would send them their guitar and they would stamp in a three or a four digit number right. on the neck and the body. Then when it went away to get painted and sanded and this and that, right. when they put it back together, they would match those two numbers, make sure the guy got the same guitar back. Right. So this has those numbers in it. And uh, as far as changing anything, everything's totally 52 on it, except I rewired it. But uh, it's got a new string tree. Instead of the round one, it's got the little butterfly one, okay. and a white guard instead of the black guard. Other than that, that's the only thing that they added. They kept everything else original. Still got 52 pots in it. Wow. Then they still work. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, I've got pots from oh, the usually, 70s. That, yeah, I burn them out in a year and a half, two years, playing six nights a week, usually. Yeah, yeah. So whoever swell. had it, had it refinished yeah. and didn't buy it. Wow. Or used a volume pedal, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. And what about amps for you? Amplifiers these days, I've been using this one. It's called a Grammatico. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's made here in Austin, Texas by a guy, a one-man operation. And uh, I love that. Yeah, I'm I'm all about that too. Same like those doctors and the yeah. Neville is a one man operation. I'd rather support those guys. Absolutely. And if they make something good, of course. Yeah, for you know. sure. So this fellow John Grammatico makes these amps and uh, here in town, and it's a like a high power Tweed Twin. And we spent a bunch of time tweaking little bitty things and changing things every week for probably four years. And now it's exactly where I want it. And I've got two JBL old uh, D120, the gray Malnico uh, JBLs. And I had them reconed in town here at Austin Speaker Works with uh, base paper. So they're heavier and stiffer. So when you punch a big fat cord, it's still pretty clean. It pushes a lot of air. Right. Open back. Yeah, open back. Yeah, it's like a tweed cabinet and everything, two 12s. Uh -huh. And I uh, use that. And then I've got a pedal board with a whole bunch of tone reducers in it. 
I've got uh, a couple of uh, Durham Electronics. There's another single man operation in town here. Mm -hmm. He makes the sex drive pedal, the mucho busto, the Zia drive, and now he makes one called a red verb with two Ds. Oh, Thank you very much. Very nice. And it's a reverb with a uh, sex drive that only has a gain volume on it. It's no other adjustments on uh -huh. it. So it's got a clean boost built into the reverb pedal as well. Okay. And it's an awesome not because my name's on it, but same thing. We jacked around with different sure. combinations of things until I was happy with it. And my kind of gripey wine with uh, digital reverb or any digital pedal is that they're really glassy and kind of glitchy sounding, mm -hmm. like you plug a guitar through a direct box into a mixer board yeah. when you're recording. It's sort of that sound. It's a nice sound, but doesn't sound like a guitar through an amp. Kind of. no, I hear you, for More sure. Classy and so anyway, he's got at least half of that knocked out of that pedal, so it doesn't have quite near as much of that zing and fizz to it that a lot of digital stuff does. What about compressors? I don't use any compressors at all. I use, uh, I've got his Mucho Busto, which is kind of a tube screamer times 10 if you want. And then a Zia drive is another distortion that's kind of along the line of a Marshall with no compression. It's got more of that kink, kink, kink kind okay. of tight, a really good rock and roll rhythm sound. Right. And I use those two for my distortions. I got an old Boss uh, DM2 or 3. Which delay? The, the analog yeah. delay. I love That's my favorite delay yeah, of all me time. Me too. I just love them. Oh, I got a couple delay. of them. And they just came back with the Wazacraft. They reissued it. Finally. Yeah. I haven't tried one. Is and it good? It's good. Yeah. It's, 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 I have I AB'd them, and they're That's awesome. dead on. That's awesome. Because, yeah. yeah, I just love these old ones. And I got a little tremolo pedal. And uh, my newest toy to annoy the band with is uh, <laughs> Electroharmonics B9. Oh. And it's an organ, it Leslie organ. It man, it's the most it annoying thing in a band. <laughs> that thing will turn more heads. I mean, it'll turn nine heads in a five-piece band. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I think it's great. It's a, yeah. I was really amazed on how polyphonic it was. Oh, it's you, unbelievable. It's so good. It tracks really, really yeah, well. Yeah, it's fantastic. And uh, I use labella strings, and I've used labella pretty much since I was a kid. In Canada, they had their Canadian brand of them was called Criterion. Uh -huh. And uh, I guess it was a brand that they made to, just for export to Canada. And uh, when I moved to the States, I couldn't find them anywhere, so I was using Ernie Ball. And when I moved to Nashville, I was traveling uh, with Clinton, and we played up in New York, and I run into the guys up there in New York. So hooked back up with them, and uh, I've been using their strings ever since. Wow. La Bella. La Bella. And what about picks? Picks? Uh, I order my picks with my name on them and my 8x10. I got a picture of a pig's head on my pick. Oh, I, can I get one of those? I got to get one of those. Certainly. <laughs> and I order them from PickKing.com. All right. That's a fellow out there. He actually moved to Nashville. He was in Arkansas for a long time. And I met him through Merle Haggard. He made Merle's picks and a whole bunch of other guys' picks and stuff. And uh, he just does great work. And he listens to you if you say, if you're sick enough to go, well, the plastic doesn't sound right. He'll send some other samples to go, what do you think of these? A little, a little maybe lighter. He's, a little maybe he's lighter. laughing. I don't know. But he, <laughs> at least he does it. <laughs> I have a feeling a lot of those folks laugh at us. I think so, yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. You know, that's okay. They're the ones that have to have their cords the wrong way. That's right. 
<laughs> so what's what's uh, what's ahead for you? What uh, you got going on? Just a bunch of touring around a little bit this summer. I've been traveling with a fellow named Robbie Folks from Chicago. Oh, yeah. And he's a fantastic bluegrass picker and a nut, funny nut guy. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing a duo in the Northeast one week a month this summer. Nice. And uh, it's been fun and all of that. And uh, kind of my hope of, the, of doing that stuff is I hadn't played any of the clubs before that I've been doing with him. Yeah. And I was hoping that by doing that, I could get to know those folks that run those clubs and maybe bring my own band in there at some sure. point, do a little more travel. You the rock room, right? Yeah, coming room. up. Yeah, it's coming up. Yeah, I'm thinking about going checking that one out. See you in that kind of, yeah, with that kind of thing. And then uh, let's see. In uh, October, I'm going up to Dallas to film and make uh, some more guitar porn lesson video oh, thing. Very good. So hopefully, I'll have that out in the new year. Right. And then through the winter, I plan on doing uh, a new CD as well. So oh, excellent. all in the works, nothing yet. Still, all right. Well, that's cool. Hopefully. Well, I know you got to start getting ready, and they're starting to let folks come in yeah. here. Well, um, thank you. I've enjoyed it. I have enjoyed this immensely. You uh, have been on my hit list for a long, long time. Well, don't hit me. <laughs> Red Boker, thank you so much for being on. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, there you go. Uh, one of my wishes come true to speak to that man. And uh, for him to be as friendly and as open and with us as he was, was just, uh, couldn't have made it any better. Couldn't have made it any better. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Red Volkert, uh, for being on the show. Greatly appreciate it. Folks, if you ever get to Austin, you need to see Red Volkert. Those of you who live here, you know. <laughs> Amazing. Folks, we got to get out of here, but in the meantime, I want to remind you, uh, guitarradioshow.com, guitarradioshow at gmail.com, our Facebook, our Twitter, all that stuff. You know that stuff. Come follow us. We'll follow you back. Come join us, and uh, we'll have a good time. And that's what this is all about. I want to thank everybody who, uh, who tunes in and listens on a regular basis. Thank you, thank you, thank you all over the planet. Um for listening in and subscribing and I really, really appreciate it. Uh, we're going to get out of here. In the meantime, take care of each other. Take care of yourselves. Keep on playing and we'll see you on the next episode of Guitar Radio Show. Peace! Everybody say, you, Ed! I like this crowd already. Norris Productions.